welcome those who are also watching online, and so please help me give them a big LifePoint welcome this morning. Thank you for joining us online. We'd love to see you in person one day. Come by and say hello. Um, wow, what an incredible morning. Um, you know, before we get started with the message, um, we, um, I know you have noticed this, as everybody has noticed this, but um, over the last couple of few months, several months, uh, our worship team has just done an incredible job. They are, I mean, every week it seems like they just do a little better and a little better, and uh, it's virtually an entire volunteer-based ministry that we do here. There are no financial, very, very limited financial resources that go into the personnel aspect of that, and to realize that people just stepped up when there was a void uh, and began to play has been remarkable. I know you have noticed that. I know you're thankful to them. Uh, this morning was no different. It was incredible. And, um, but I, we got a little something going on that we want to make sure you know about. Um, and, and that is uh, TJ, who is our drummer, and then comes out from behind the drums and like sits on a stool. And says, what about that this morning, huh? Come on. How about that? Um, TJ has, has stepped up remarkably from uh, in the last several months. He is a key aspect of our team. And uh, in fact, I have said this. This is an early gathering. I'll say it again. Some of you t-shirt people, somebody can make this up for me with some graphics. I would like to have a picture of TJ's face on a, on a t-shirt with a microphone and drumsticks, and it say, my drummer's better than your drummer. <laughs> Across it. And then down at the bottom, I'd like for it to say, and he can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I think, I mean, we, it's unbelievable. Like, I've never met somebody who is as talented, particularly with the drums, that can sing and play, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then we find out this week, Tuesday and Thursday, he's got to have surgery, and it's going to be potentially a little while before we get him back on stage. And um, so we're going to miss him, and um, it's kind of sad. I know some of his family are here this morning. Thank you all for being here as well. Um, and so what we want to do this morning is we want to pray for him. I just wanted to just pray over him and Whitney, his, his wife, uh, who, by the way, you may not be having surgery, but you're going through this surgery. I don't know if you know that or not yet, but... Um, as she takes care of him over the next while, and um, so we just asked, I asked TJ to hang around after the music, um, we're going to let him come up here, and I'm going to ask, I know I've seen a few of our elders here this morning, if you're one of our elders or on the prayer team or the worship team and would like to come up and lay hands on him, we're going to allow you a chance to do that, and so um, TJ, Whitney, you don't mind just, I mean, I guess just kind of right here, um, I mean, there's no, like, official way to do this, just, you know, whatever you, I mean, that was great. How about that? So, uh, if you're one of our elders, please come up. I saw a couple of you guys here this morning. One of our staff, please come up. If uh, you're on the worship team and you'd like to pray, come place a hand on TJ, you can do that. Um, if, if you're sitting in the seats, and I know this may be weird, like, if you're a guest, it's kind of weird, like, what are these people doing? Well, there's a lot of stuff about believing in Jesus that's weird, and the more you hang around here, you'll figure that out. But if you're, if you're, one, if you're in the seat, you're, you follow Jesus, just kind of as a side this morning, we just want you to like, just put a hand forward toward TJ. I'm going to lay hands on him. We're going to all pray for him. Um, and so join us, if you will. Father, you are such a good God. You're a good father. You love us. You care about us. Uh, thank you that um, we can pray knowing that you hear us. Um, and we come before you because we think that you're able. We believe that you're able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. And so this morning we pray for surgeons, uh, we pray for, for the doctors, the nurses, the anesthesiologists, the 
the lady down the hall that works the computer. Everybody involved with the process of what we believe you're using to bring healing, we pray for. We know that all healing is divine, even if it comes through medical practices. And So, God, we pray for wisdom. We pray that you guide the hands of the surgeon. And, Lord, we pray for speedy recovery. Um, God, we, uh, we're going to miss hearing him sing, miss hearing him play. And so we want to get him back quickly, and we pray that you would, you would do that. We trust your will and your wisdom. Um, we place you in his hands, knowing that's the best place for him to be. Lord, I pray for Whitney uh, as she takes care of him after this surgery and um, just the stress and the anxiety that comes along with this. Uh, the only minor surgeries are those on other people, is what I've been told. So I know there's some stress and anxiety with this. I just pray that you would calm their nerves, that you give them a peace that surpasses understanding. And God, I pray that ultimately um, there would be healing and restoration and that it would be quickly. Lord, we're we're going to be real careful to go ahead and honor you and praise you for what you're going to do uh, because we believe that you're a good God, does good things for his children, and um, all things work together for good to those who love you and called according to your purposes. And so we, we trust that you're going to bring good from this. Um, God, thank you just for the privilege of, of being one of yours, but thank you that um, what you're raising TJ up to do uh, in this team as part of our worship ministry. God, thank you for his leadership. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, bring honor to yourself in bringing healing in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said, amen. amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Y'all give TJ and Whitney a hand. Now, wait, wait, wait. Don't give them a hand yet. Hold on. This is the only way you're giving them a hand. All right. This is, this is it. If you clap, this is what you're saying. I'm going to put a reminder somewhere, my phone somewhere, and I'm going to pray for you Tuesday and Thursday of this week. All right. Now you give him a hand. That's what that means if you're clapping. All right, man, so good just to kind of see what all is going on around here and all that God is doing um, around here, and we're right on the tail end. I mean, we're like week next to the last, and one of my favorite sermon series we've ever done around here called It's Not Too Late, and if you're a guest with us or maybe you haven't been here in a while, I want to bring you kind of up to speed on this sermon series. So this sermon series was born out of a question that I asked our staff and my life group. Uh, just one Tuesday in staff meeting and one Wednesday night or one Thursday night in life group, I just asked this question. I said, if you had an opportunity to go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self, what would you say? And, and we just took pieces of paper. We didn't put our names on them. It was anonymous and honest and raw, and, and we just let people answer it. And then I kind of went through the questions and the answers, and, or went through, I already knew the question, went through the answers, and some very common themes kind of emerged, as you might expect. Things like, uh, my, my favorite, some of my favorites was, uh, I would tell my younger self to invest in Microsoft or Apple, all right? Everybody in the room is like, yeah, yeah, that's what I would do, yeah. Uh, and, and I get that, and you should, by the way, you should, you should go back and tell yourself that if you had that opportunity. Uh, but what I began to realize, even in that answer, was that wasn't really the answer. Here's what the real answer was. I'd go back and tell my younger self to be more serious and more responsible with finances, because uh, you don't have to invest in Apple or uh, Microsoft to be okay 20 years from now. You don't have to to be okay financially, but your financial future probably has something to do with your financial present. And so many of us would go back and say, there's some really dumb stuff you wasted money on, or some really dumb things that you could have invested in, that you, or some really smart things you could have invested in that you were too dumb to do. And so you know, we began to realize that, that finance, finances had a way of popping up. Relationships had a seemed to pop up. Parenting uh, was a big thing that, that popped up. One thing I noticed was 
it's a very different answer if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're going to go back and talk to your younger self or if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So a very, very different answer. Uh, the older we get, the more we're concerned about influence and significance, it seems like. Um, you'll you'll kind of look back and say, I tell my younger self to focus on things that really matter, uh, which is great, except we've got to figure out what really matters. But here's what I found out, so you know. As I began to look through all the answers, for the most part, what I found out was that whatever advice you would give your younger self is pretty good advice to give your current self. That for most of the answers, it is the advice that not only should you have taken 20 years ago, but it's advice you should take today. In fact, what I found was is that for most of us in the room, it's just really not too late. Whatever advice you would give to yourself 20 years ago, it's not too late. Now, you might go, Matt, it's too late for me. I mean, I, I should have never taken that drink. I should have never used that drug. I should have never dated that person. I should have, whatever. But here's the thing. No, maybe you shouldn't have. But it's not too late today to begin to make the right decision. Right? There's never a better time than right now to make the right decisions. And so as I began to look through those answers and began to realize that reality, it became clear that what we're really talking about is what can you do today to stop the regret? That, that for the most part, all of us have got something in our past. There's something back there that we regret, that we wish we'd have done differently. And that's tragic. Okay, It is. It, it truly is. The, the fact that we are humans and we are broken, it's tragic that we do dumb stuff. Right? Anybody in the room willing to admit at some point in your life you've done dumb stuff? Anybody? Like, it's bad enough to do dumb stuff. You know what's worse? To keep doing dumb stuff. It's bad enough to have regrets. It's bad enough, it's worse, far worse, to continue to do things that's going to lead to more regret. And so the series is based off the idea that it's not too late to do what you should have always done. And this morning, we've approached a topic that, uh, I mean, I just want to be honest this morning. I mean, just like, be frank be honest with you, transparent, open it up, that I just, I just really cannot think of a better person to share this message this morning than me. I mean, honestly, as I thought about it, I've been looking forward to this week because if there's anybody that knows everything about what we're going to talk about, it's me. I mean, you're in luck this morning. You're in luck. If you're a guest with us, congratulations. You came on a great Sunday because, I mean, quite, I mean, really, if I were to search worldwide, I can't think of anybody that would be better to talk about this morning's sermon. Because this morning, we're addressing this answer to the question, if you could go back in time, have a conversation with your younger self, what would you have? And this is the answer we're going to address this morning. I would tell my younger self that you should be more patient. And as I began to think about this, I thought, I don't know anybody more patient than me. Um, I've not met anybody that knows more about patience than me. Um, I mean, when it comes to patience, I mean, I pretty much wrote the book on patience, right? I mean, and, and some of you are like, huh, I didn't really get that from you. <laughs> and that's because something's wrong with you. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. No, actually, actually, it's, it's kind of right the opposite. If we want to have a conversation about impatience, I'm an expert, all right? Uh, I, I mean, it, listen, here, here's the thing I realized. As I began to dig into impatience, here's the real thing. Like, impatience is less about attitude and less about, here, here's what it is. Impatience is like a mentality. It's Because here's, here's what I'm telling you. This is the way I work. Maybe it's the way you work. I might be the only one in the room. If it is, it'd do good for me to talk about it twice. Maybe I can figure out how to recover, right? Here's what impatience is. In my life, I have never wanted something 
a while from now. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. What? There's never been a day in my life that I had this thought. Maybe you have. Maybe you have. There's never been a day in my life when I had this thought. You know what I really want? I'll tell you what I really want. I want some key lime pie about three weeks from now. I can just tell right now I'm going to want some key lime pie in about three weeks. Prepare for it. You know, I'm going to get my ingredients together, get ready to learn how to make it maybe because we ain't got all this time on my hands and I'm going to want it about three weeks. I've never walked outside one morning to get in my truck, walk out in the driveway, look at my truck and go, well, you know what, I, I'd really, I, I'll tell you what I'm wanting right now. I want a new truck in about 10 years. No, see, for me, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the messed up one. When I want something, I want it now. In fact, in fact, I would say this. When I realize I want it, it's already late. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of you are like, hey, I get that. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm sitting around the house or I'm doing something, I'm busy, whatever, and I'm like, I'm ready. It turns out I was ready 15 minutes ago. I don't remember having that thought, but it's true. I'm real hungry. Like, I'm not just kind of hungry. I'm real hungry. Now I'm the hangry, and things about to get real ugly. Somebody give me something to eat, right? Because when I want something, I don't want it a while from now. I want it right now. I mean, actually, I think that's the definition of wanting. The, everything else is wishing. If I want it, I want it right now. Now, here's where... You may be thinking, well, why, what's the problem in that? I don't know if there's a problem in that. Here's where the problem comes. The problem comes when, when my wants trump wisdom. Where impatience is a problem. Like, like, I'll be honest, there are places where impatience is a value, right? In an emergency situation, it doesn't pay necessarily to be patient, Right? I mean, if I slice my arm, it's bleeding, I'm going to want something to cover it up now. Like, I'm not like, hey, if you got a few minutes, if you can stop by in an hour, I need you to stitch me up. No, there are certain things I want it right now. But for the most part, the problem with impatience is impatience leads to the other regrets that you want to go back and have a conversation with your younger self about. Impatience makes you jump into a relationship prematurely. Impatience makes you make a financial decision without proper planning. Impatience makes you say things to the people that you care about the most that pushes them away. And so impatience has a way of leading to the regrets that you want to have a conversation with your younger self about. And, and, and you know, here's the other thing that does. Impatience causes us to lose sight of what's really going on on the grand scale of things, and it makes the immediate more important than the, than the eventual. Uh, in sermon prep this week, um, and, and we, we have that every Tuesday, and people are, are welcome to come. It's kind of an open meeting. And uh, we, we just had somebody that come, that's been coming the last few weeks, and, and she was sitting in there, and I said, what, why, do, what, why do we need to talk about impatience? She said, well, she said, looking back at my life, I need to remember, I need to learn that no now doesn't mean no forever. Like don't, sometimes we just, here's what impatience does. Impatience magnifies the immediate moment and typically erases from our thoughts the possibilities in the eventual. I was talking with Clay between gatherings. And he was telling me, it reminded me of the story of a Navy SEAL training where they, you may have heard this before, but they'll, they'll put Navy SEALs on this race, on this endurance course. 
and they don't know where the finish line is. They just tell them when you get to the finish line, you'll be finished. And multiple times over, as they've looked at this, they've done this research, there's been tons of times when a person would quit. They come pick them up. When they finally just tap out, they pick them up. And then it's like just around the next curve is the finish line, like 100 yards away, 200 yards away. And at that moment, they go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I could have made it that far. Just let me out of the truck. And it's like, no, it's too late. Because sometimes what happens when we're impatient is we make a decision on the moment, not recognizing that the real moment is just around the corner. And we miss out on what is our best because we jump at what's, what, what's right there as a possibility. And so I began to think about that, and I began to think, wouldn't it be great if there was a passage of Scripture that would address the right way to live life? Like the right way to, to, to approach this thing called life. Uh, and again, I mean, I'm an expert. Last night, I'll give you an example. Last night, just in, in just introduction to my life, right? Um, here's the great thing about sermon prep and sermon series is that everybody knows where you're going. And everybody knows what the subject matter is. So you should be able to like do things right. So I know this is last night, about six o'clock, five o'clock, something like that. After dark, a little after dark, five thirty, six o'clock. I know I'm preaching on patience the next day, right? And so I'm deer hunting with my oldest son. And I had the opportunity last night to harvest a deer. That may bother some of you. I'm sorry, but we did. I harvest a deer. And, uh, and, and you may not know this about me, but my truck is like a moving, like, prep, preparation to the hilt, like, tool, vehicle, right? Like, if, if things go south, get to match truck, because everything's in there. So, all right, so I'm planned. I, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm pulling a trailer, and it's got a John Deere Gator on it. Because I don't want to, I'm, I'm to the place in my life, I don't want to drag deer anymore. I want to drive something right to it and get it, okay? So we unhook the gator, let down the gate. Jalen drives the gator off of the trailer, and it goes dead. No big deal. I mean, you just crank it right back up, right? That's what you do most of the time, but not last night. You go to turn it over, and nothing happens. I'm like, oh. Ain't no big deal. The appendices are stuck on the starter jail. And every now and then I have to hammer. I have to hit them with a hammer. Guess what? Prepared. Got the hammer in the glove box of the gator. Get it out. Tap, tap, tappy. Nothing. Tap, tap, tappy. Nothing. Real hard tap, tap, tap. Still nothing. Relentless tapping. Nothing. And this deer is like a thousand yards away felt like a million miles away. And so we go walking to the deer. We dress, field dress the deer. I'm allergic to deer, by the way. That's why I take people hunting with me. I didn't mean to take my oldest son who didn't know what to do with it necessarily. That was not part of the plan. So I'm knee deep, elbow deep, and allergens. Finally get this thing dressed, and we start dragging it back, which might as well. I, I, don't, I thought it was a small doe, but I killed it. Apparently, it was a cow. It weighed like 1,100 pounds. It didn't look that big. That's what it felt like dragging it. Get drug all the way back. I can't tell you how many times I'm mumbling under my breath about this stupid gator. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Get back. I, I kid you not. I cannot make this up. We get back to the truck, get the deer loaded, getting ready to load it in the truck. And I'm like, John, we got to do something about this gator. I can't leave this thing here. Well, now we got to like, it's late, 8 o'clock. I'm tired. Every muscle in my body's wanting to cramp up from dragging a stupid deer. Not worth it, by the way. 
And I'm like, now we got to push this gator up onto the trailer. So I sit down in the seat, and I'm like, what's the chances? Cranked right up, fired right up, drove it right up onto the trailer, right? All I could think was, bless the Lord. (laughs) He's such a good father. I love you, Lord. All I got is a hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm just incredibly patient. I was like, ah, no big deal, right? I'm like, you got to get me. Right? Wouldn't it be better if it was a way to live life? And I began to think, I was just, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be great if there's a passage of how to live life? And God brought to my attention my favorite, really, seriously, my favorite three verses in the whole Bible. And in fact, these are such favorite verses of mine that there have been times that Jennifer's like, so you got... You got, you got late notice you're going to preach. I'm guessing this is coming from Hebrews chapter 12, right? Because it used to be like my go-to. And, and, and I would say this to you. If, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I think this is what I would say uh, at this point in my life, is I would say, you need to go to Hebrews chapter 12, memorize the first three verses, and base your life on it. Just base your life on it. Because if we can get what we're going to look at this morning right it makes a whole lot of other decisions right. And so let me just show you that based on this idea that we, we all probably realize that we need to be a little more patient. Let me show you what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews in chapter, in chapter 12, this is coming off of the heels of what's known as the hall of faith in Hebrews. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but here's what we do know about the writer of Hebrews is that he was writing to a group of people that were dealing with frustrations and difficulties. It, the, the, Jewish people, the Jewish believers at this time had been dispersed like everywhere, which is incredible that Jesus looks at the, the, the early belie- the, his early disciples right before he ascends and he says, I want you to go to all the world and make disciples. And these guys are like, all the world? Most of the people that Jesus knew had never been more than 10 or 12 miles from where they were standing probably. And they're like, the whole world? How are we going to possibly get the whole world? And within just a few short years, because of the climate of the culture and because of the, 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 the just kind of where things had gone, the, the, the believers had been dispersed to literally all the way around the world. And, and they were being challenged for their faith. They were being arrested, they were being abused, being beaten, being even killed for their faith. So the writer of Hebrews says, you're going to face some difficulties. I want to encourage you. And in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, let me give you some examples of people who have endured what you're probably going through, and even worse. He began to talk about people like David and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and even Rahab the harlot. And, and, and different, in fact, in, in Hebrews 11, it even goes on to mention, it says, and there are many more, men of whom the world are not even worthy. And it begins to talk about one thing, the two, word, the two words that gets used over and over is this. It says, by faith, these people did something significant. And that's so inspiring to me because here's the truth. For most of us that deal with patience, don't miss this, one of the struggles we have and the reason we're impatient is because we don't make decisions that are filtered through our faith. We make decisions filtered through some other metric. We, we, we got our flow charts and we got our P&Ls and we've got our spreadsheets and we've got our experience and we got what we want to do and we got our emotions and we kind of put all that together and we go, well, I really want to do this and, I, and, and I'd like to do this and, and the budget says this and, and my gut says that. And that's the way we pull the trigger. But in Hebrews chapter 11, 
The people there are admired not because of their wisdom financially or wisdom relationally, but because they filter their decisions through their faith. By faith, these people did these things. And the question I would ask you is this, when is the last time your belief in a God that walked out of the grave influenced the way you made a decision? You see, if, if we're believers in Jesus, it means that we believe in the finished work on the cross that was, that was legitimized by the fact that there was a resurrection. If I really believe that a guy died on the cross and walked out of a grave, that ought to affect the way I make my decisions. That should be more important than my P&Ls. That should be more important than my gut. That should be more important than even my emotions. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let me tell you about a bunch of people that did life right, that, that, that their life was motivated by their faith. And then he says, so therefore, now that I've given you plenty of examples of people who did life right, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about those people and many more who have lived this life as an example before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let me tell you what I think biblical patience is. I think it is running with endurance the race set before you. You see, I think sometimes, I think patience gets confused with passivity. Every now and then I'll get around somebody and I'll, somebody will say, well, I'll tell you what, that person just got the patience of Job. And I'm like, well, why do you say that? Well, they just never complain about anything and... They just go along with everything, and they put up with anything. I'm like, well, maybe they're just passive. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. If that's what patience is, it's real simple to be patient. Here's what you can do. Tomorrow, make an appointment at a doctor. Go to the doctor, and there are certain drugs they can prescribe, and when you take them, you won't give a flip about nothing. You go to work the next day, be sitting at your cubicle, the whole building catch on fire. You just look over at it and be like, huh, look at that pretty glowing warm light. Ain't that cute? It just burn you up. You can die right there. And all the rest of us say, they had the patience of Job. No, you were just passive. You just didn't care. There's a difference in passivity and patience. See, passivity says nothing matters. Here's what patience says. Patience says, there's a race that's set before me. And there's a goal. And there's going to be difficulty along the way. But I'm going to run with endurance the race that's set before me. There'll be a million reasons to quit the race. There may be a million distractions along the way. I may not even know where the finish line is. In fact, I can guarantee you don't know where the finish line is. It may be just around the corner or decades away. But I'm going to run it with endurance. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to patiently endure whatever it takes to run the race that's set before me. And I'm going to tell you, I, what I love about the writer of Hebrews in this particular passage is the encouragement and the practical advice that we get. So when he says run with endurance the race that's set before us, I think that gives us two implications. It implies, first of all, that there is a race to be run. And you may be thinking, what does that mean, Matt? Well, it means this. It means there is purpose and significance to your life. It means that we are not just a collection of cells that is somehow formed together in some miraculous, amazing, weird, odd way that now we have life and we have breath and we have language and we can move and we can do and we can think. 
And it's just happenstance, and we'll do this for a few years, and then we're going to die and become dust again. No, it means that there is, the fact that he says there is a race set before you means that there is intent for your life. That God's giving you purpose. He's giving you intentionality. There is something to accomplish. There's a goal to be a part of. There's a kingdom to win. There's, there, there is, there, there, you have been gifted. And so figure that out. What is your race? And if you'll ever figure out your race and you will commit to that race and run it with endurance, you'll be surprised at how that changes the trajectory of your life. It gives you a reason to live. It gives you a purpose in life. And then here's what else I love. He says it is set before us. And, and this may bother some of you, but I, I believe that it's Bible. It's, it's, the fact that it's set before us means this, that there are no, there, there, there's no like, uh, there's no hiccup with God. There's no, uh, God, didn't, we, God didn't wake up one morning and be like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. No, the race is set before you, obstacles and all. It, there's intention in it. And so we don't like to think about that as guys like, man, God would make things tough on me. Well, I, I would suggest this. I, I would bet you the tough times have made you more of who you are than the easy times. I mean, there's, there, there's no knife that's forged in comfort. But it's, it's forged in heat and it's forged in pressure. And, and God has set that before us. And the writer of Hebrews says, and the intent is to run it with endurance. The, the, the race to win is, is, the significance of the win is found in the difficulty of the race. And what I love is, is almost like if I, I can imagine going back and having a conversation with my younger self and I go, hey Matt, here's what, here's what I think you need to do. You need to run with endurance the race set before. So let me tell you what younger Matt would have said back to older Matt. Well, thank you, older Matt. How about you tell me how to do that? It's one thing to say something. And I would be like, well, I'm glad you asked because the writer of Hebrews gives a bunch of answers. And I want to walk you through these because I'll bet you there is something for you to take a step in this morning. I just guarantee you, everybody in the room has probably got a place to take a step. He starts with this. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. The first step with running with endurance is to deal with weight and deal with sin. Now, I love this, this race that they're talking about. is not a 100-yard dash. Uh, based on the time frame of when this was written, it's clearly uh, talking about a marathon race. And, and I don't know about you. I mean, that'd be the most boring race to watch. But I'll be willing to bet you if you'll turn on the Boston Marathon, let me tell you what you'll find. Those people trim down every possible weight that they possibly can. I mean, you, go, like, I, you, go, you ever watch these bicyclists that race? We got a couple in our life group. They like, the clothes they wear, it's like they painted them on. I mean, they're tight-fitting. There's not much to them. They don't weigh anything. They want to trim all the weight they can trim, get all kind of aerodynamic. I asked my buddy one time, I said, what is the difference in a $500 bicycle frame and a $5,000 bicycle frame? He said, about six pounds. Because it's all about weight. The lighter you can be. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight. And he says, and the sin that so easily entangles. And I don't think these are the same thing. He's talking about two things. Let me deal with sin first, then we'll deal with the weight. When he's talking about sin, sin is easy to define. It is clearly anything that transgresses God's law. Anything that is not what God would want us to do, okay, is sin. It's missing the mark. And in this particular context, I want you to notice he says, the sin that clings so closely, and I love the way I memorized this passage in I think the New King James was the sin that so easily entangles us. 
I think old, I think the King James says the, the sin that, that besets us. See, you need to know your besetting sin. You need to know the sin that clings so closely. The one that's like a wool sweater in the wintertime when it rains. It just, you can't get it off of you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like if you don't know what sin I'm talking about, watch this. This is the cool thing that the Holy Spirit can do. Watch this. It's the sin that you're thinking about right now. That one. The one you've asked forgiveness for 10,000 times and you're still struggling with it. The one that you said a million times, you told yourself, I'm not doing that ever again, and you do it ever again. That's the sin that clings so closely. And, 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 the, and, what, and what the writer says is, you've got to lay it aside. And here's why. If you're not aware of your besetting sin, let me tell you who is your enemy, who wants to destroy you. It may be pride. It may be greed. It may be lust. You, you, you know, you, you, you may be one of them people, you just like to lie all the time. It, here, let me tell you what it is. Whatever it is, it will keep you from running with endurance the race set before you. It just cleans so closely. It'd be like trying to run a race with something just climbing all over you. It ain't going to happen. You say, how do you deal with it? A couple of things. If you know you have a besetting sin, you know what that sin is, you go offensive attack on it. You plan for it. You put in accountability. You put in conversation. Get honest about it. Admit you have a problem. Be transparent. And then he talks about weight. And he says, lay aside the weight. Now, weight is not necessarily a sin. In fact, a weight, in my opinion, could be otherwise a good thing. But here's what it is. It is anything that slows you down in running with endurance the race set before you. You see, I don't think golf is a bad thing. But if, a golf, keep, if golf keeps you from running with endurance the race set before you, you need to quit playing golf. You're like, Wow. Why don't you go there, Matt? Because I don't like golf. I'm not going to talk about something I like. <laughs> right? Some of you, it could be a toxic relationship. Lay aside the weight. Some of you, it may be a habit that may not otherwise be a sin, but for you it is. You know, I, I've said before, I mean, and, and you know, you take this for whatever it's worth. I don't think that you can make a case in Scripture that to consume alcohol is a sin. But let me tell you what it would be for me is a weight. It's not wise for me. Everything I do in my life, I'm compulsive about. The last thing, let me tell you what I think Matt is. I, um, I, I've, never, I've never been drunk in my life. Um, I think I've had two ounces of alcohol in my entire life. It was coming home from a mission trip on a plane that if I didn't get to sleep, I just, somebody told me that stuff would put you to sleep. I'm like, I'm going to take it like medicine. And somebody lied to me. It just kept me up all night. It was wonderful. Let me tell you, I, I, I think I'm an alcoholic. I just haven't figured it out yet. You say, what makes you think that, Matt? I'm compulsive about everything else I have in my life. I don't necessarily think that alcohol is a sin. Let me tell you what it would be for me. Good possibility. It's a weight. I think getting in the way of me running with endurance, the race set before, it may not be your weight. I think it's probably my weight. And so I calculate and count the costs. You know what I've decided? I like Dr. Pepper well enough. I don't feel like I'm missing out. And it's not worth the, the potential cost of what it could be in my life. I bet you got to wait. I don't know what it is. But I'll bet you this. If you want to run with endurance the race that's set before you, you need to determine what it is and get rid of it. 
See, some of you are lined up at the starting line thinking you're going to win a race, and you've got ankle weights strapped to your ankles, and somebody's like, why are you wearing those weights? You're like, they match my shoes. I've been running, I've been wearing them while I've been training, and I just noticed they look good on me. Somebody go, but they're weights. I know, but I mean, they're sort of, I kind of like them. I've gotten used, I've been wearing them so long, I'm kind of used to it. I got it under control. And somebody look at you and go, you're going to be a lot more effective if you'll get rid of it. You'll be a lot more effective if you'll lay it aside. He said, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles you and run with endurance the race set before you. And then, then he says, now once you get rid of the weight and you deal with the sin, then, then, then he deals with where you look. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the finisher, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when it comes to running the race with endurance, you need to understand that there's going to be all kinds of stuff and all kinds of noise that is clamoring for your attention. And if you want to run it with endurance, you want to make it to the finish line, you got to learn how to quiet the noise and eliminate the distractions. And let me tell you what's not going to happen. Going, be quiet and get out of my way is not going to happen. Noise is going to always be noise. Distractions are going to always be distraction. And difficulty is always going to be difficult. What you have to do is change where you're looking. You can't be enamored by the clamor of the noise. You've got to shift your attention and you've got to look to Jesus. Focus your attention on him. And I love what, what he said. Now, what does that mean, man? I mean, it, give me some real life. He says, well, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So think about this. this is what he's saying. He's going, look, the example is Jesus. The goal was redemption and pay the price for humanity's sin. And there were 10 billion reasons to get distracted. But instead, Jesus focused on the call. And he stayed true to the call. Even when it got difficult. I'll promise nothing that you're going through measures anywhere near the difficulty of the cross. And it's why every time it gets hard and you get distracted, it's why the writer says, turn your attention back to Jesus. Look back to Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Just And don't worry about where you're going. Listen, that's the problem. We're so worried about the finish line. Quit worried about the finish line and just step where Jesus steps. When he takes a step, you take a step. Just stay right behind him. Focused on him. And then he ends up by saying, and consider him. You're looking at him. Now just consider. Just let your mind, let your imagination think about. Just consider him. Jesus who endured from sinners such hostilities. And look what he says. Here's the result now. I lay aside the weight. I deal with the sin. I look to Jesus and I consider him. The writer of Hebrews says, when we do that, that way, you won't grow weary or faint-hearted. I can run with endurance the race set before me. That sounds like patience. And avoid growing weary and faint-hearted. Sounds like impatience. Go back and tell my younger self, Hey, younger Matt, let me tell you what you're going to realize in life. Is that sometimes you have really high expectations of life. And you couple that with high 
anxiety and high pressure because you feel like you got to go make it happen. You know what? I bet I bet we got some make it happeners in the room. And you have a high expectation. You're not passive. You got a high expectation, but you have all this pressure because you feel like you got to make it happen. And your life feels wound up tight and impatient. You're ready to snap and you're constantly frustrated and you're, you're bitter toward people. You snap at people. You begin to see people as resources to get what you want instead of just people to love and care about. And you're aggressive and you're abrasive. Instead, maybe we think about Paul. The apostle, when he was writing a letter to a church, he said, you know, there was, I had this issue. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It could be a temptation. could have been a sickness. We don't know for sure. He says, three times I prayed about it. Can't you just imagine what that means? Like me and you, it's probably some of them prayers like, God, you got to be kidding me. How many times I got to ask you about this? I thought you loved me, God. Three different times I prayed about it. And Paul said this. He said, this is what he said to me. He said, this is what I heard from God. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, as an older Matt, who you may not think is very patient, but you should have seen me years ago. As an older Matt, let me tell you what I've learned. I still have high expectations, but I don't have high pressure because I've realized it ain't about me and it ain't on me. God's grace is sufficient. I have somewhat learned to let grace fill the gap. You see, some of you right now, there's a big gap between your expectations and what you are realizing. Your, your expectations, your experience have this big gap, and you stay frustrated. When you begin to realize God's grace is sufficient, it's enough. I'm still dealing with sickness. God's grace is sufficient. I still don't have everything I want. God's grace is sufficient. I'm not where I want to be in life. God's grace is sufficient. My relationships, I'm struggling. God's grace is sufficient. And we let grace mind the gap. Then what begins to happen is the pressure goes down. The expectations can stay high. The pressure goes down. And our enjoyment goes up. And we run with endurance the race set before us. So what now? What this morning? Uh, if you want a bottom line, we tend to like those around here. Where you focus determines how you finish. If you're really, really impatient this morning, you're like, boy, I've been needing a message because I'm just impatient. Let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is not your personality, and the problem is not the difficulties or the circumstances in your life. The problem is what you're focusing on. As long as you're focusing on the stuff around you, the noise and the distractions and the difficulties, you're going to continue to be impatient. And you're going to feel that sense of frustration and pressure and high expectation. But when you will shift your focus from the stuff and the difficulty, and you look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and you begin to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, then what you'll find is you won't lose heart and grow weary. You'll run with endurance the race that's set before you, and you'll finish well. Where you focus is how you finish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. God, thank you that um, 
you have a plan for our life, and, and we don't have to miss it. Um, you do good things for us. Help us to focus on you. Help us to shift our attention from the clamor and the noise and the difficulty and focus our attention on you, our author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter. Help us to learn from your example of endurance. God, help us to run the race that you have set before us with endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.